This episode of She Explorers is brought to you by Danner Boots. For nearly a century, Danner has crafted boots with purpose and integrity. They use the best possible materials to create boots built to last, so you can hit the trail with confidence for years to come. Learn more and find your perfect fit at danner.com. I'm Gail Straub, and you're listening to She Explores. Hello, Anna. <laughs> Hi, I'm Anna Bronis, and you're listening to She Explores. <laughs> but we're actually going to listen to something a little bit different today. It's a podcast that my good friend Anna Bronis and I have been working on for the past year and really more because we've been talking about the ideas that go into the show for a really long time. And so today we're going to share an episode from the current season. Yeah. So the podcast is called Creative Fuel and we take a look at how creativity intersects with our everyday lives. And so every episode has a leading question. And the question of the episode that we're going to share today is, how do we spend time alone? Hmm. That's all true. How do you think that this show does help illustrate the the different ways that creativity intersects with everyday life? Well, it's funny that you said that we've been working on this a year, but that we're exploring things that we've been thinking about for a long time. I have a friend who's an artist who (laughs) he's in his 60s. And every time somebody asks him how long it took to make something, he just looks at them and totally deadpan says a lifetime. (laughs) And I, I feel that way about this show because we're exploring these topics that we feel really strongly about, but that also I keep finding like all these links to other things We all need creative thinking and creative capacities to function as a human in this world. We are all executing creative thinking abilities pretty much every day, no matter what we do, whether we're an artist or, you know, a writer or a rocket scientist or a teacher or an accountant. Everybody needs creativity. So once we embrace that, we can see how that shows up every day. And so in this episode that we're going to share today... What we took a look at was this idea of solitude and spending time alone because there's a lot of research that shows that being alone can be really good for the creative process. Wait, can you hear Ralph barking? I can hear Ralph. (laughs) (laughs) I am just going to have to be like, I have a dog named Ralph. You have a dog. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know what my my office is just too messy to open the door to let him in, which is embarrassing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sorry. Okay, we can just continue. Okay. So solitude can be really good for creativity. And so we wanted to take a look at what it means to spend time alone and how do we spend time alone? Because we live in a modern world where we're pretty connected all the time. Just sort of learning about what being alone and being in solitude does for the creative process, but also how maybe that manifests in a negative way. So the the episode ends up kind of looking at aspects of loneliness as well. And that wasn't something that I had thought a lot about before we did the episode. And that was thanks to Florence Williams and her book Heartbreak, which is about her going through a divorce after, you know, 25 years of marriage. And and what that means and like what it means to be lonely. And so this episode for me really challenged my own conceptions of what it means to be alone and what it means to be in in solitude and what it means to be in community. Yeah, so I think one of the reasons why I wanted to share this particular episode with with the She Explores listeners is that, well, one, Florence Williams is featured in it as our expert on 
the concept of solitude that Anna just mentioned. And Florence is also the author of The Nature Fix. And she actually talked about that book and, and the relationship that the outdoors has with our mental health on an episode of She Explores way back in 2017. So it's really fun to kind of look back and think about, you know, some of the ways that my own relationship with nature has changed since then, but also to hear her talk about a much different subject matter, but also intersects with a lot of the themes that the Nature Fix covered in terms of how do we sit with ourselves and how can nature help facilitate that. Mm -hmm. And then the other woman that's featured in the episode is a photographer named Alex DeSteiger. And she's a New Hampshire artist and she spends the winters in solitude on an island off the coast of New Hampshire. And her work is just beautiful. And I think it's really going to resonate with folks who go and check out her work after listening to the episode. Anna, you've listened to She Explores for a while. You've been on the show several times. What are some ways that you think that this particular episode might resonate with listeners? One of the themes that I find when I listen to She Explores is this idea of curiosity and seeking whether that's like seeking a trail or seeking a story or there's a sense of curiosity and wanting to learn more about the world around us and in particular in the outdoors. And I think that curiosity is such an essential component of creativity. And I think that this episode is is just really going to resonate with anyone who has spent time seeking moments alone or moments that feel creatively heightened, I guess. I, I think of that in Alex's work and, and spending time alone through the winter on an island. Like It's just this time of like heightened awareness and presence. And I think that that is often something that we seek when we're in the outdoors. And so she just presents this really distilled version of that. I think that's going to resonate for She Explores listeners because, like I said, that, that idea that we're interested in the world around us and we're seeking something when we go outside, whether that's an answer to a question or just like a moment of existing. And I think that those things kind of come across in this episode. Yeah, I completely agree. Without further ado, let's share the episode. And you can find Creative Fuel, as they say, wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm just sitting here thinking about how I can't really remember the last time that I sat down by myself, not in a work context. I work alone pretty much all day long, but I'm always either emailing someone or talking to someone or it's, that does not feel like solitude time. Um, I'm also an only child. And so I think that I really need alone time in a different way. I can just start to feel really antsy and not very happy, just fidgety if I haven't uh, had alone time in a while. And sitting here also makes me realize that I have been not so great at prioritizing it lately, (laughs) which is probably like most of us. I know that solitude is essential for my own creative practice. But in an ever-connected world, it feels more and more elusive. So for this episode, I'm asking, how do we spend time alone? To be creative is to be human. And exploring that drive might just help us understand ourselves a little better. I'm Anna Bronis, and this 
is Creative Fuel. Remind me why it's good for me to be alone. I asked my therapist for maybe the third time. Being alone is like a muscle, said Julia. One should exercise it because you never know when you'll need it and you want it to be working. This is writer and author Florence Williams, and that was an excerpt from her latest book, Heartbreak. It's a compilation of Florence's research on the science of heartbreak, but it's personal too. So can you tell me for you what it means for that being alone to be working? Yeah, I think in retrospect, it was actually really good advice, even though I didn't necessarily want to hear it. But you have to understand, too, just for context, that I met the man who would be my husband when I was 18. (laughs) And we dated for seven years, and then we were married for 25 years. So here I am at age 50, and my marriage ends. I've virtually never been alone as an adult. And she, I think, reminded me that home is kind of where we are as ourselves. And we have to feel comfortable with that. So I had to learn how to be alone. Florence found herself rudderless when her marriage ended. And her first inclination was to set herself back on course by jumping into another relationship. But instead, she set out to understand the mechanics of heartbreak the same way she came to understand the benefits of time outdoors through writing The Nature Fix. Rigorous research. Now, When we talk about how to be alone as creatives in this episode, I want to be clear that our focus is not on relationship status. It's about finding that home within ourselves. So something that I was thinking a lot about as I read the book and also having read Nature Fix is this aspect of solitude versus loneliness. Can you give me your description of sort of how you define the difference between the two? Sure. I had to think about this a lot because I didn't necessarily understand the distinction starting out since I just thought, oh, if you're alone, you're lonely. Solitude is that generative space. It's where you're with yourself and your thoughts and your creativity and your ideas. I guess ideally, solitude is this gateway, right, to a flow state in its, in its best incarnation. And then loneliness is really a psychological, subjective feeling of, I want to be with other people and I'm not. There's something missing. It's kind of a state where there's a chasm between what you have and what you want. Do you think there's an element of choice that differs the two? I think a lot of people go into a state of solitude with great intention and they choose to be there and they love it. Loneliness, I think, is less of a choice. I think part of the definition of loneliness is that you are resistant to that state and you may feel even put upon or victimized or somehow this is something that's happened to me and I'm not happy about it. When Florence's husband asked for a divorce, she certainly wasn't happy about it. While she might have sought out space away from her two kids and husband before to work on her writing, the idea of spending time alone for long periods was not something that she had chosen for herself. Photographer Alexandra de Steiger, on the other hand, she has spent over a quarter century pursuing it. I made a a very conscious decision when I was young to tailor my life to the things that, that were important to it. When the island job came up, I was a sailor and I didn't have some nine to five anything. I could just take the job. 
26 years ago, Alexandra, who goes by Alex, became the winter caretaker of Star Island, one of nine islands in the Isle of Shoals. It was on a whim, but it's become an integral part of her life and creative practice. Year after year, come November 1st, she travels by boat approximately seven miles off the coast of New Hampshire to the island, where she helps protect 29 historic buildings against the brutal Atlantic winter. My job is to go through all the buildings and to check for damage, you know, especially after storms. And then I repair anything I can to keep the weather out. So like windows blow out, I'll board them up. Storm force winds can send fluffy snow right into the rooms through any cracks, you know, through the eaves and, and around doors. There'll be snow drifts on the floor and I'll open a door and I'll have to like push the door open against a drift that's behind it. <laughs> so shoveling out the rooms is part of my job and it's, it's good exercise, but... Quite often when I'm finished shoveling out all 29 buildings, another storm will hit and there I'll be uh, doing it all again. A typical season on the island lasts until early April. For those five months, Alex is the only person out there full time. There's another caretaker that brings supplies when I need them. And, you know, they may stay around a week or so and then they leave and, and then it's just me again. And it's a great job. While being a caretaker is hard work that Alex takes seriously, it is the time in between that she savors. So when I'm not doing caretaker duties, my time is my own. In the summer, I have I have a lot going on. I'm, I, my brain's kind of cluttered with all these little details that need to be done. And then in winter, with the quiet of the island and just the sound of wind and the vast surround of ocean and sky, it's, it has a very quieting and centering effect on me. Alex is a medium-format, black-and-white film photographer. Her work can be otherworldly, yet it's somehow still grounded by the depths of the seascapes, self-portraits, and the stark winter island that she captures. She shoots all winter long and waits for spring when she returns to the mainland to develop the film and to print the images in her darkroom. The island is Alex's muse, a source of creative inspiration that she returns to again and again. I think I have more capacity than most people to continue to think the same rock has a freshness to it, <laughs> no matter how many times I photograph it, because there's different character, you know, the weather and the lighting changes. And so the same things that I'm photographing always feel fresh to me. But I am still surprised when I develop film in the spring sometimes. I mean, it's a bit like Christmas, you know, I, I have a general idea of what I have, but I, I have not seen it yet. and. I love the anticipation of that. I think in this instantaneous world, it's kind of nice to have to wait for something. On the island, Alex feels held by the rhythm of the days and the space that the long winter creates. For her, that time in solitude is generative, but for others, it might be lonely. In your research, can you share some of the, the negative social and health impacts that are incurred by this sense of loneliness? Yeah, it turns out that loneliness is actually one of the biggest risk factors for early death and disease that we have even as much as smoking, I think it's like 15 or 20 cigarettes a day. I'm back with Florence. Loneliness doesn't just feel bad. It has been linked to things like impaired cardiovascular health and cognitive decline. And it even impacts our immune system. Researchers are teasing apart what's going on in people's immune systems and their white blood cells. 
when people feel lonely. And it, it turns out that the crux of that feeling of loneliness is a state of feeling unsafe. Because as humans, as social animals, we're actually hyper-social animals, we associate safety with numbers. And when we feel abandoned or rejected or otherwise without the people we feel like we want to be around, we feel nervous about that. Even on some subconscious level, we feel vulnerable. And so our nervous systems really respond by sort of upping inflammation, by preparing us to perhaps be attacked or predated upon. So it's so amazing that our immune systems, these white blood cells, actually somehow listen for loneliness. As humans, safety and security is key to our tapping into the generative state that solitude can cultivate. After learning from neuroscientist Christine Liu earlier this season about how safety helps us explore our surroundings and enjoy the benefits of newness, I wasn't surprised to hear this from Florence. Can I get you to read another quote? Because it kind of relates to what we're talking about. And you don't have to get your book. I got it right (laughs) here. (laughs) And do you remember what this section is from? So this is when I'm on my river trip. In order to try to access big awe, you know, in my journey of recovery or my attempts to try to feel better, I embarked on a 30-day river trip in the wilderness, and uh, about half of it I did solo. But when I got there, you know, I had some sort of surprising sensations around it about feeling kind of anxious. Okay, so... We weren't supposed to be alone in the wilderness. And if we were, we needed every sense turned on high, every task list made, followed, double-checked. I'd been wanting to re-inhabit myself by experiencing solitude, to turn my loneliness and grief into something more generative. But now I was worried that the opposite was more likely, turning solitude into loneliness. That last line I was so struck by when I read it, and I was thinking that for people who crave a sense of solitude, particularly people who crave solitude to sort of be generative for creativity, I was wondering if you could just speak more to how solitude transforms into loneliness if we're not mindful about it. Sure. I mean, I think the reality is, you know, we have great expectations <laughs> when we set out to go hang out by ourselves for several days and, you know, get a lot done, or in this case, a couple of weeks. But 14 days alone is a long time, especially if you're in the wilderness. <laughs> and, you know, maybe you don't feel completely safe all the time. You do have to be sort of hyper vigilant when you're out there alone. You can't mess up. You can't tie the boat in wrong. You have to just really pay attention. And, and that in itself is a kind of a state of anxiety that's necessary, really, for staying safe. What can happen is you get out there and you're like, oh, I'm having a lot of negative thoughts and I would love to talk to someone about them. <laughs> or I miss the sound of human laughter. Or, gosh, it would be great to have a pep talk right now. And that's kind of why human society is so helpful and so great and what it is. We are designed to reaffirm our own self-concepts in someone else's eyes. There's a lot of really positive reinforcement that goes on in society. And we may not be thinking about all that stuff, you know, when we're planning this great solitary adventure. In our ever-connected lives, we can find ourselves longing for time on our own. I find that longing multiplies when I'm struggling to focus on creative work or when I've spent too many hours indoors in front of screens. 
But we can also start to romanticize solitude when we don't have the luxury of access to it. Talking with Florence, I'm reminded that we have to stay grounded in the reality of our surroundings in order to harness the power of solitude. People ask me this, you know, do I feel alone out there? But I don't because I think we find community wherever we can. For photographer Alex, the winter on Star Island isn't necessarily an adventure, but an opportunity to ingratiate herself in the natural world. Solitude for me is a broadening out of myself into everything that's around me and uh, and letting what's around me in. There's snowy owls that come down from the Arctic and they spend the winters there and they're, they're very quiet and solitary and they spend most of their days just sitting and looking. And I feel like I become very much like that. You know, the owls are not a social species and in winter, I'm, I'm not a social species, at least not with my own kind. Um, so all I can do is, is look outward and see what's happening in the world. But Alex is not entirely disconnected from the mainland. In fact, she's more connected than I expected. You know, it's a blessing and a curse. <laughs> In the beginning, when I first moved out, there were no cell phones at the time, and I had a radio phone that barely worked, so I was so disconnected. And then as the years went by, maybe halfway through my time out there, they got internet. Someone hooked me up with Facebook because that's the other part of being an artist is, unfortunately, you have to promote yourself. You have to get out there and and have your work be noticed. Do you find that it's easy for you to manage that or do you find that you have to kind of like set some boundaries for yourself? I just think that often these things are designed for us to continue to be distracted. <laughs> you know, yeah. they're sort of set up for us to not be in solitude or just busy, 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 focusing on whatever we see. I have periods when I'm not posting, I'm not looking at all, and I have to have that. And I wish I had more of that. And sometimes I do feel a little guilty when I when I don't post something, at, you know, days will go by and there's radio silence on my end and, and then I post something. But yeah, it, it's tricky. Again, I'm an artist and I and being a presence and so people will see my work is also important and one has to make a, a living. Yeah, fine balance. <laughs> yeah, it really is. <laughs> Florence's research backs up this friction. Do you think that in some ways our connected culture or even sometimes illusion of connectedness, because um, I think often we're just mostly connected online, right. does that encourage loneliness? Yeah, I mean, it's ironic. It's, it's pretty well known that the loneliest demographic out there is the 18 to 40 age group. And those are people who, you know, they're in college, they're in workplaces, they're communicating. Sometimes they, they live in groups. And yet, they're the loneliest demographic. They're the most plugged in. They're using digital technology the most. There's something that we know, I think, even subconsciously about digital connection that's not quite authentic. Somehow, it's not giving us what we need. Danner crafts boots with purpose and integrity. They have you covered no matter the season, no matter the trail. As the temperatures fall, we're turning to Danner's collection of Inquire boots. Built from the ground up for women, Danner's Inquire boot can handle it all. It's durable enough for long days on the trail and light enough for everyday tasks. Its unique Danner dry waterproof lining allows moisture to escape without letting water in, meaning your feet will stay dry across varied terrain. The Vibram Enquire outsole provides adaptive traction and incredible grip on all kinds of surfaces. 
And there's something for everyone in Danner's collection of Inquire boots, including options for cold weather climates, mid-heights for ankle support, and casual styles for everyday wear. Learn more and find your perfect fit at danner.com inquire. While true solitude can be impeded by the distractions of technology and sometimes create less than satisfying connections, talking with Alex, I was struck by how, when we tap into the power of solitude, our creative work can ultimately connect us with something bigger than ourselves. I mean, I think a lot of your work, like in your photos, when I look at them, there's a very strong sense of solitude that I certainly connect with. And I'm wondering if that's if that kind of theme has always been a part of your work or something that's developed over time as you have spent more time alone, and then how that connects with the people who engage with your work. Mm. I guess I do have a very solitary theme running through my work, but I, I think I see it as a more a universal theme because my images, many of them have a timeless quality, just as the islands in winter have a timeless quality. There's nothing to pin them to a certain time in history. And so there's a perspective that timelessness gives us, I think, that makes us aware that all our problems and all the things that we are, think are so huge, and some of them are huge, that's not a takeaway from that, but but most of the, the little things are really not not important in the big picture. And so that solitary feel in my images is, I think it's a, a big picture feel. It's, it's supposed to take us out of ourselves and place us where we can connect with this more vast and timeless thing. These like views from islands often have this sense of distance and vastness. And like you're saying, you tap into this larger timeless thing that can make you feel inconsequential on some levels or just makes you feel part of something. Yeah. How do you think that documenting that then, does it help you to better connect with people? I think so. I, I think it, it gives people a connection with my work that that they themselves probably have when they go out in nature. So in fact, some of my images have a figure in them and often that figure is, is staring. We see the person from behind and, and they're, they're usually small and they're, they're staring outward toward that horizon that you know is never reachable. And it, I think the images have this sort of, those particular images have this sense of longing that we all feel, I think, for something. And, and I don't, I don't know that we all know what that is that we're longing for. And, you know, I'm not sure either. I do know that I experience it and I experience it when I look toward the horizon. But I suspect that it has something to do with a greater connection with, with that vastness, with that far horizon, with the possibility. science has shown that one of the things that happens when you experience awe is that you do feel more connected to the world around you. You feel more connected to other people in that world. So even if you're out in nature, you know, and you're blown away by the Grand Canyon or whatever, you're going to feel sort of affectionate toward the strangers who are looking at the Grand Canyon right next to you. Art can be a gateway for awe, and awe can inspire art. I asked Florence to share the definition of this ephemeral state it's a perceptually vast stimuli that really challenges our normal frames of reference. So in other words, it's something that kind of blows our mind. 
you know, we see something and we have to kind of stop and stare and our jaw drops and our eyebrows rise. (laughs) And we're like, what is that? I need to understand what that is. What is that Milky Way? What is that purple sun rising on the horizon? And everything else in your brain kind of drains out. Whatever it was that you're thinking about, you've just kind of frozen and you're focused on this thing that you're experiencing. So I'm wondering then, when you think about your experiences with awe, would you say that they, do they come at times of solitude or times with other people or a little bit of both? Yeah, definitely both. I mean, a lot of people define awe as occurring, for example, perhaps if they are with a celebrity (laughs) or a major political figure at a rally. I mean, there are reasons that these political candidates have rallies with 20,000 people in them. There are reasons that religions have built beautiful cathedrals. So yeah, you can definitely experience awe in a collective setting. And in fact, it's very powerful to perceive awe with other people. But awe from wildlife, awe from nature stimuli certainly can happen pretty easily when you're alone too, because you're paying attention to where you are and you're maybe not distracted by conversation. Where do you think the role for creativity is within that? So I think this really interesting thing happens when we're experiencing awe. And it's not really talked about very much, but it's this need to understand what we're seeing. And we kind of throw out our normal schema for how we group items or group people. We may be better able to overcome stereotypes, for example, because suddenly we're very open-minded. We have this little window in which we're really open-minded and we're like, what is that? I want to learn what that is, or I want to understand what's happening. And if we can figure out how to turn that a little bit inward so that we can shift our own consciousness or shift our own self-concept, there's also this window of opportunity for transformation personally. And I think that that's really exciting. And I think it can really play into creativity because it helps us see the world in a new way, in a fresh way. And maybe it helps shake the snow globe, you know, of our brain. So the snow lands back in a different place. I think that's really exciting. Yeah, I noted a, a quote from that you had in, in the book from a psychologist named Craig Anderson. And he had told you, I think of awe as an emotion that helps us explore. It helps us be curious. Uh, and I think that it's exactly what you said. It's sort of this thing that just shakes us out of our routine and then challenges us to kind of rethink everything or, or just be more curious to find a different connection or a different path. And I think it's really important to point out that it's that curiosity and that openness that is an essential personality trait for weathering life's hardships. And this was something that, you know, psychologists just told me over and over again that it's, it's that very trait of openness that, in fact, we can learn to cultivate and we can learn to sort of be better at being curious and open. That's going to really help us through everything. Alex will return once more to Star Island come November. And she will return as long as the opportunity is available to her. She leaves behind her own small but strong community on the mainland. And that in tandem with her ability to find home in herself, allows her to weather the long winter storms. Do you think we need solitude as human beings? I feel that we do. And I I feel as if we don't get enough of that because it seems like we're afraid of boredom. 
especially now in this in this modern age when everyone is hyper-connected all the time and they're missing the quality of boredom that allows them to just center with themselves and to have their own thoughts and to figure out what's important in their lives. I think it's important for me. I, I really like those times when I'm, I'm just quiet and, and don't have a lot going on. In The Nature Fix, Florence writes about a concept called the three-day effect. What happens in your brain and body after three days in the outdoors? It's really a term that's been popularized by a cognitive neuroscientist named David Strayer at the University of Utah, although he didn't invent the term. But it's this idea that after three days outside in nature, our brains kind of shift and we become better able to see things that we hadn't seen before, to hear things. Our senses sort of wake up as our frontal cortex, you know, our sort of thinking brain, our task-solving brain kind of dials down. So it can be this really creative space. It's where we can solve problems, where we can think about our self-concept, you know, who am I? If you think about it, I mean, so many traditions and cultures throughout time use these sort of uh, ritualistic rites of passage where people are transitioning from one life stage to another. They're thinking about their role in society and how that may be changing. And, you know, we can do that at any time when we need to ask these big questions about where we are in life and kind of who we want to be. Do you think there's like a three-day effect of solitude? Do you think that there is power in like an amount of time of solitude or a dose of solitude that helps us to better facilitate that level of authenticity or connection that you were talking about? That's a great question. I wouldn't be surprised at all if there is, because as one person told me, you know, when we're out out of our sort of typical context for three days, our dreams change and our sort of short-term frame of memory changes to the point where, you know, after three days, we're no longer maybe dreaming about our normal life. We're sort of dreaming about our, our liminal three-day phase more. And so I wouldn't be at all surprised if we start to shed civilization, you know, as we know it a little bit after three days and even more so after seven days or 10 days. Uh, and then there's space for all this other stuff to come in. Yeah. Well, that's the next research project, three days of solitude. <laughs> a lot of us aren't able to devote three days to testing out this hypothesis. But I wanted to see what effect a little microdose of solitude would have on my own creative life. I decided to take a little small dose of solitude today by coming down to my local state park that's kind of close to my house. Um, just taking a little walk for myself and sitting and doing a drawing. And it's so funny, I was so frazzled earlier today, just feeling so pulled in so many different directions and so many things on my to-do list that I was kind of stressed by this block of time that I had set out for myself. And then now that I'm here, it's amazing how that kind of just goes away in a way, which might be the water and the landscape. But it just kind of has me thinking about how disconnecting is hard to do. But when we start to sort of pull out from that stuff or sort of 
pull ourselves out of those tentacles of things, of to-do lists and obligations, if we find those like small cracks of time and can honor them. There's something there. Oh, there's a seal. There's a seal, a little ways out in the water. I can see a little head. The seal is just floating there, swimming around. Usually they pop down pretty quickly, but he's staying with his head up, just gliding through the water. I brought a sketchbook and some watercolors with me, not with a grand plan, but just to play a bit, to sit and notice. Along with my sketchbook, I also brought this book with me. Uh, it's a book that Florence had recommended during our conversation. It's called Journal of a Solitude by May Sarton. And just on one of the first pages, there was something that just really resonated with me. That's, she writes, I hardly ever sit still without being haunted by the undone and the unsent. I often feel exhausted, but it is not my work that tires. Work is a rest. It is the effort of pushing away the lives and needs of others before I can come to the work with any freshness and zest. And just, yeah, that resonated. I think that, um, yeah, when we have a lot of things to do, which is most of us, and we're busy and we're connected and distracted, we really crave being by ourselves or just being alone for a little bit, being quiet. Um, and I think that it'd be so nice to have several days of that, but maybe we just have to get it in the smallest of doses and be really mindful about it. Today, I have an hour, which feels um, like a luxurious amount of time given what's on my to-do list. Uh, so I'm just gonna take it while I can. In order to tap into that home within herself and to better understand the mechanics of solitude, Florence spent 30 days on a river trip that she documented for her book, Heartbreak. Is there anything that you have learned or that you take with you moving forward? Is any of that kind of wisdom that you have garnered from that experience? Yeah, I mean, I feel like I've undergone this really tremendous transformation compared to where I was and I think that my, my psychotherapist was, was right. You know, I needed to learn to feel braver, you know, to feel more self-sufficient, to know that I can take care of myself if I need to, you know, and also to still prioritize building connection and building community because we can't do it alone. But that doesn't have to be through a romantic relationship. And I think when you can come at the other side, there really is this kind of growth that takes place where you become more comfortable, I think, expressing and feeling a huge range of emotions. Uh, and, and, and the good news is that includes joy and it includes love, as well as a lot of grief and heartache. And when we feel that, I think a new level of comfort with that sort of full human range, we feel more alive, we are more able to access beauty. And that ultimately is kind of the little secret sauce of resilience. 
for many of us artists and creative spirits. Time alone is often when we feel at our creative best. It's when we finally feel like we can get the work done. But in order to get to that state, we need community first. We can romanticize solitude, see it solely as a solitary, self-serving pursuit. But in the end, the pursuit of solitude isn't so self-serving at all. Because the pursuit of solitude becomes the pursuit of better connection. This episode featured Florence Williams and Alexander DeSteiger. Learn more about their work through the links in the show notes. We're grateful to Big Cartel for supporting this show. With no hidden fees and no limits on your sales or your success, Big Cartel empowers others to share and sell their work. Open your own shop at bigcartel.com. Creative Fuel is hosted and co-produced by me, Anna Bronis. It's co-produced and edited by Gail Straub. Theme music is by Cloud9 Music. Follow Creative Fuel on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Head over to creativefuelcollective.com for more creative inspiration, prompts, online workshops, and a robust creative community. Thanks to our sponsor, Danner Boots, for making this episode possible. Learn more at danner.com. You can find She Explorers on social media, our website, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribe to our biweekly newsletter to stay up to date. She Explorers is a production of Ravel Media. We'll be back with a new episode in a few weeks. Until next time, stay curious. I will say that just sitting here chatting like this kind of makes me want to do a podcast where this is all we do, and then we don't really spend a shit ton of time editing. or re- <laughs> We just, like, sit around and chat, and then we can just, like, bust out five of these a week. Oh, I know. I know. But who would listen? <laughs> no one.